get started here. Dear Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for this time we can spend together, this meal that we have to share afterwards, this time of fellowship. Thank you that you gave us each other, that we wouldn't think that that's nothing, that we would see how, what a blessing that is, that you allowed us the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than ourselves so we could be reminded that ultimately this isn't about us, this is about you. That if it's about you, that the way that you express that in us is to give us a concern for one another so that we can be a part of a body of believers that gathers together and corporately is interested in having the same mission of earnestly contending for the faith or striving together for the furtherance of the gospel. That as we get our eyes on you and you put our eyes onto the objective, which is the lost and other believers that you want us to have an impact on, that we wouldn't try to do that in our own strength. Pray that we would see that without you we can do nothing, that it's only through keeping our eyes on you and your spirit working in and through us that we're ever going to have any positive spiritual impact on anyone or grow in our own faith. Pray that you'd make that clear to us and keep reminding us of that. Thank you for this facility and this opportunity to have a, a place that's heated to gather on a, on a cool evening. Thank you for the, all of the hard work that went into this meal we'll share afterwards. Pray for wisdom as I speak here in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you haven't already, to the book of Acts. Many of you know that on these church fellowship nights, we've been slowly plucking our way through the book of Acts, tracing this really key and critical book that gives us this transition, this transitional book that tells us about the development of the early church and the things that were going on there shortly after Jesus ascended back to, to heaven. We've been tracking primarily here the life of Paul, in our lessons. The title of, it's going to be chapter 6 you're turning to, but the title of tonight's devotion is God is Not Limited. God is Not Limited. And you're thinking about decisions in life that could it prove difficult for human beings to use in any kind of a way that would be productive or that would accomplish a, a desired outcome. God's not limited in that way. But as you think about Decisions that are made, many decisions in life we would do differently if we knew how they would turn out. If we, if we knew in advance how things would turn out, how the future would go, it would alter the decisions that we make. You often hear someone who now regrets a past decision say something along the lines of, well, in hindsight, I would have done things differently. And this type of thinking is understandable. But it's useless at the same time. What I mean by that is you don't know in advance. So talking about what would have happened or what could have changed had you known is sort of a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of breath because you didn't know those things in advance. In fact, in life we make decisions that are based on the information you have at the time you make the decision and then you have to live with it. Now sometimes there is a little bit of, if you want to say, negligence in that in the sense that there was more information available but you were hasty in your decision so you didn't seek it out you didn't have to know the future in order to have avoided that decision all you had to do is to have a sense that I want to search this out or think through this or pray through this with a greater level of diligence so that I have all the information available I've been thoughtful about it I've been prayerful about it and I can make the best decision possible so that is true, but yet, even then, once the decision's made, it's been made. And now, you have to move forward. You have to live with that decision. And as you think about those types of things, 
some of the decisions that you make end up looking foolish in hindsight, and some of them end up looking wise in hindsight. When you look back now with the perspective of time having passed or more information, it's true that oftentimes one of those two things is true. You look back and you say, well, that turned out to be a good decision or a bad decision, a wise decision or a foolish decision. And the greater issue, as I was looking at this idea of Paul kind of making what turns out to be a foolish decision, at least from a human perspective. But as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, God isn't as concerned about the decision itself, although he is concerned about us involving him in the decisions we make and the choices we make. He is more interested in, in our attitude and our thinking, what, we're, what our perspective is as we go through and we make those decisions. And God can use any of those decisions for our good and for his glory, even when they turn out to be bad. God is so big, and that's where we have the title here, God is not limited. God can use decisions that are made as unto him regardless of how they appear in hindsight. So when our objective or our attitude was to lift him up and to bring him glory and we include him in our choice and we make a decision just because we might look back at it in hindsight and say that was a good decision or that was a bad decision or that turned out to be kind of foolish or that turned out to be kind of wise if our perspective was to include him again and our desire was to serve him he's always going to find a way to use that in our life again for our good and for his glory now i will say that to a different extent, that's true even of decisions that didn't have the right attitude, decisions that were based on incarnality, decisions that were based in rebellion against him. Even those decisions, once we've shifted our gaze back to him, he says, I want to use that in your life to bring you closer to me. I can even use that bad decision on your part in a way that will teach you something, in a way that will draw you nearer to me. I don't bless the decision per se because it was a decision that was made apart from me or in rebellion to me, but I can still even undertake to bring some good from it, just like I can bring good from evil in, the, in a Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, I believe, type of a way. And so that's what I want to bring out here with Paul's decision. Let's take a look at it here in Acts chapter 26. Now, by way of the background, most of you who have been a part of these studies know that Paul was warned not to go to Jerusalem many times, that there was danger facing him there. Knowing the danger, he went there anyway. He was arrested almost immediately upon being there. He hadn't been there long. He was arrested without any legitimate charges being brought against him. He was examined by two different regional governors without any guilt being established. No matter who talked to him about it, who was in a position of authority, they determined that he was without fault. But yet he continued to be under arrest. And so that's played out now with these two governors, Felix and then Festus. And it, time has gone by to the point where we're at two plus years, over two years of being imprisoned in Caesarea. Now we had ended our story where this King Agrippa comes to, he's a puppet king for the Roman government, but he has some authority in this region. He comes to meet with Festus and Festus says, I have this strange case in front of me. I want you to hear it. And so Paul gives a defense to Agrippa and to Festus where he not only proclaims his innocence, but he proclaims Jesus Christ. And our last lesson in this series was you almost persuade me to be a Christian. We'll see that here again tonight and then we'll move on to our subject matter. But let's pick up 
where we got that topic from for last time in verse 28 of chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And how sad is that? Sad because close doesn't work with God. It's either you have persuaded me and I do put my faith in Christ or I continue to be lost. Verse 29, and Paul said, I would to God that not only you but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am and his reference there being to a believer in Jesus Christ, one who's put his faith in Jesus Christ. He says, except for these chains, I don't want anyone else to have to suffer this imprisonment like I am but I want everybody to become a Christian, verse 30, when he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice, the wife of the king, and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then the king Agrippa said to Festus the governor, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So, What you have there is hindsight. In hindsight now, new information is coming forward where these two authority figures are saying, after having heard him this final time here, we're persuaded that he should be set free. But he's already started this appeals process in place that cannot be rescinded, and so he cannot be set free. He has to go to Caesar instead. Now, to look back at that original decision, look back at chapter 25, And we'll see where Paul had made that decision. So his fate was already sealed in the sense that as a Roman citizen, he had already filed his appeal. He had already, the equivalent of that in our day, he had already filed the appeal with Caesar himself, which was the right of a Roman citizen in extraordinary or unusual circumstances. I researched that a little bit. It was not necessarily an automatic right for every small thing. It was a for extraordinary circumstances and here we have a man being charged of these horrible things but there's no evidence being made about it given about it and it mostly has to do with a cultural issue between the Jewish leaders and Paul and that makes it difficult for the Roman leaders because they don't want to get in the middle of it remember that one of the Romans primary motifs was the Pax Romano which said keep the peace keep the peace at all costs what made the Roman government successful is they didn't allow for riots and disruptions they wanted to keep people at peace and so they put down those kinds of things and they didn't allow them to get going and they didn't want to see it fester into that even here in in chapter 25 but so he's being dragged he's being dragged again in front of Festus Festus is saying how about we bring you so this is the setup picking up here in verse 9 but the setup to verse 9 is He wants to do the Jews a favor, so he wants to make Paul stand trial in front of them again. Now, he's already done that previously. So we pick up in verse 9. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Now, Festus has no guts here. Festus has already determined Paul is innocent. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying, but if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, 
you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Now again, he didn't bring him directly to Caesar. In, in my speculation, my personal opinion, uh, to me this sounds like Paul has reached a point of frustration where after years of being found to be without charge, without guilt, he still hasn't been freed. And so continuing to go through these charades of trials isn't appealing to me and he has this extraordinary request then to say basically, I want to go to Caesar. That's who I want to be judged by. And so that already had happened. Now we come to those verses 30 through 32 of chapter 26 that we just looked at and they're saying this man, Agrippa, who has more influence in some ways than even Festus, says this man might have been set free if he had not already appealed to Caesar. So that's the decision that we're talking about that seems to be ill-advised in some ways. Ill-advised in the sense that had he been more patient or let the process play itself out a little bit longer, it sounds like he was just on the cusp of potentially having his freedom when he comes to the end of his rope or the end of his patience and he prematurely requests to have his case brought to Caesar. So he starts this appellate process. Seems like a bit, a little bit early. And if he hadn't have done that, it sounds like he might have been let free right then. So then you have to ask yourself, is God going to be limited by what later proves to be an ill-advised decision? So the appeal to Caesar now looks a little bit foolish from a human perspective in hindsight. And we have no way of knowing exactly what caused Paul to make that decision or what process he undertook in making that decision. We, it doesn't say whether Paul prayed about that decision. It doesn't talk about how long Paul considered that as a last resort before he, he spoke those words to the governor. All we know is that he did speak them and it seems like it was done in the spur of the moment or in the heat of a conversation where he's asked if he'll submit to this further inquiry and on the spot his response is, no, I want to go be seen by Caesar. He's the one who ultimately has the authority over this as a Roman citizen. But that's not the point of this devotion. The point of the devotion is God is not limited by past decisions when you have a present desire to serve him. And that is a fixed fact. God is not limited by our past decisions when we have a present desire to serve him. That is true of a decision that's made in faith, a decision that's made with the right motives, a decision that's made in prayer, and decisions that are made in carnality, decisions that are made in rebellion. If my past decision was already made, that's not the issue anymore. The issue is my present desire. If my present desire is to look to the Lord, trust the Lord, and allow him to work in my life, God is not going to be limited in accomplishing his purposes for his ultimate plan itself, but also his plan and purpose for my life. He's not going to be limited by my past decisions. Now think of how comforting that principle is as you sit there tonight. That's true of decisions that were made with the best of intentions, even prayerful decisions made with the best of intentions, then in hindsight, it looks like you missed the mark on that because further information comes to light that makes that decision seem kind of goofy or kind of foolish. 
show of hands as to anyone who's thought they were making a good decision that in hindsight kind of looked back and said, that was kind of a goofy decision or that wasn't the outcome I intended. Now, I can raise my hand. That happens all the time around here. (laughs) Many of you can attest to that, right? Where you see some of the decisions that are made and you say, man, I'm not sure I would have done it that way. Or now that he sees how this turned out, maybe his perspective would have been different on this. And you know what? Sometimes you're right. Maybe the perspective would have changed, but the point of the message isn't that. It's the comfort that we can find in knowing how big our God is. Our God is so big that the moment in a present state of mind, in, the, in, in a present moment, in a present second, we redirect our eyes to him. He says, I'm capable of now working through those circumstances, even though there may be consequences associated with sinfulness. There may be things that you still have to deal with. I'm not going to necessarily take them all away, but I'm going to undertake in your life to sort of like a GPS redirecting or rerouting your path. I'm going to reroute your path from here to the place I'm leading you, which is a place of conformity to the image of my son. And this is, the new, this is the new line, this is the new path in front of you. But I'm not going to be limited in bringing you to where I want to bring you by your past decisions. And I just want to bring up a few things about this decision. So think about this decision. God is, under, is certainly able to undertake in Paul's life and to use that decision for Paul's good and his glory. But God wants to be glorified. That's the underlying point. If God wants to be glorified, the moment your desire lines up with his, he is certain to facilitate that outcome. Do you see that? If God is in the business of wanting to be lifted up, the moment your desire corresponds with him, he's going to be faithful to bring that to reality regardless of the circumstances around you, regardless of the choices, regardless of the ramifications that may be continuing there. He's going to be faithful to bring about that result. Why? Because that's his will. That's his desire to be glorified or lifted up. So the moment my will lines up with his and I'm walking in dependence on him to produce that result in my life, he's going to be faithful to make that a reality. Not because of anything I've done other than having a positive volitional response to him finally. Not because of any great strength in me. Not because of any great assets I bring to the table, but because of his faithfulness. And so it's never too late. We're never too far gone in the sense that regardless of where we're at, when our thinking aligns with his and our focus gets back on him, he says, I can use that. Now, that's not even true of this circumstance where it's not like it was a horrible decision on Paul's part. It may have been a prayerful decision on Paul's part. We don't know the answer to it. All we know is that in hindsight, it looks a little bit foolish. Now, again, that's from a human perspective, but let's look at it from God's perspective. When God looks at this decision, Paul's decision here actually brought about a fulfillment of God's previous promise to him. Turn back to Acts 23. How God can work even with decisions that don't seem that great as we look back at them. God can still use them to bring about his ultimate plan for our lives. Acts 23 verse 11. God is going to use this decision to fulfill a promise that he made earlier to Paul. 
So now Paul has been brought to the barracks by the Roman authorities. He's under arrest here. This is at the beginning of this trial. This is two and a half years earlier, roughly that. Read verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him. In the face of your trials, the Lord is standing by you too. We had a whole message about that. He stood by him and he said this. This is the only red you see. I mean, page, page through Acts here, this is the only red you see right here. God took the time to appear to Paul in this difficult trial and he said something to him. He said this to him. Be of good cheer, Paul. You're in prison, you're in chains. Be of good cheer, though. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, how much testifying did he get to do before he was arrested? Not much. But as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. This is the sovereign, all-knowing God of the universe that said this to Paul two and a half years earlier. So now Paul makes a decision to appeal to Caesar, which seems maybe premature, maybe a little bit foolish from a human perspective, just because if he had been a little bit Waited a little longer, perhaps he would have been set free. But God is so much bigger than all of this that God had already promised him that he would be a witness of his in Rome. Now, is this one way that Paul's going to end up getting to Rome? Yeah. Is it the only way that this promise could have been fulfilled? No. Other ways could have been done. So was it necessarily God making him appeal to Caesar? No. But God's going to use his decision to appeal to decision, whatever brought about that decision, he's going to use it as a way of fulfilling his promise to Paul that he would be a testimony for Christ in Rome. Fascinating. I thought that was really encouraging. Then you, if you look at this decision a little bit more, Paul's decision was in keeping with his own desires, albeit likely not as he envisioned. What I mean by that is Paul wanted to go to Rome too. I'm going to read Romans 15 to you, 22 through 24, and then we'll come and turn to Acts 19. Two passages where we see Paul wanted to go to Rome anyway. He didn't really see it happening this way, but this is, this, that was his desire and it was God's desire or plan for his life too. Uh, verse 22, for this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you. He's writing to the Romans, Paul is here. But, no, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. How many years? Many years, he says, he wanted to go to Rome. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there, on my way there by you if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Meaning he has plans. He had a desire for years. It hadn't worked out for him to go and be here with these Roman believers. Paul wanted to be with them. Acts chapter 19, turn back there. How this decision, regardless of whether it was a good or bad decision, wise or foolish decision, it helps to facilitate the fulfillment of God's promise, but also even Paul's desire to minister to these believers. Acts chapter 19, we'll pick up in verse 15. In verse 15, we sailed. I'm in the wrong. Yeah, Acts, no. Acts 19.21, sorry. Acts 19.21. I just read it wrong. Okay, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. 
So Paul has this desire to minister to these saints. He didn't necessarily picture it going this way probably. But God says you're going to go to Rome to testify for me. Paul has the desire to go to Rome. And it ends up, he ends up using this decision that maybe was a little bit on the questionable side. But that's how God accomplishes it. Now Paul's decision also facilitated his living out the mission God set before him. Turn to Acts chapter 9. So you'll see all these ways that God is working through decisions that we make, even if they might not be always the best decisions. God is that big, hence our title. God is not limited. That's what I hope you see in this short study here tonight. But in Acts chapter 9, we want verse 15. Acts 9, 15. This is facilitating Paul living out the mission that God put in front of him from the very beginning of his conversion. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, and he's saying, he's saying this to Ananias because he's told Ananias to greet, to greet Paul or intervene in Paul's life that he's going to bring Paul to him. And Ananias is like, what are you talking about? This guy is the one who was persecuting the church and dragging men and women and believers out of their homes. What are you, what are you talking about? And the Lord said to him, Ananias, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. And what is his mission going to be? to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's, what Paul, that's what's being said about Paul by the Lord to Ananias. Now I'll ask you this. Had Paul yet proclaimed this message before kings? What do you think? Who, who is Agrippa? Who was he, Jude? He was called King Agrippa. Now, was he a real king? Hmm. He's kind of like a puppet king. He was, he was put in place. He, they used the name king. But I would say no, not, not a real, real king. There was two governors that he'd been in front of. He'd been in front of the Jerusalem council, the leaders of the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin. But had he yet really been in front of a king? What did the Jews say when they crucified Jesus? We have no other king but Caesar. So, no, oh, did you know that one, Adam? Did you know that one? I saw your hand too late. We have no other king but Caesar. So the real authority in all of this ended up being Caesar. Now, can we prove for a fact, absolute certainty, that Paul ever appeared in front of Nero? kind of difficult but there's a lot of inferences that would say yes he did we know that he ends up being in Jerusalem depending on your view of it he ends up being in Jerusalem under house arrest for a period of years probably two years at which point in time he had an incredible influence on the palace the household of Caesar it says the gospel was spread to many many people even in the royal family because of Paul's imprisonment in Rome there's different opinions about was he, was he allowed loose after that two years before his second imprisonment where he was in a legitimate cell type of imprisonment having been likely before Nero, having likely been condemned to death, likely fa- knowing that he was going to be executed and martyred for his faith. So point being, he did in all likelihood appear before Caesar. It's not recorded. Acts drops off before that happens. So the historical book doesn't go 
that far. But if you look at some of the writing to Titus and to Timothy, there's certainly an inference that there was more travels potentially between the first imprisonment in Rome under house arrest and the second imprisonment that led to his death. Point just being, this facilitated ultimately his interaction with Caesar and ultimately his being martyred. So the point being in all this, regardless of the merit of this decision, God used it for Paul's spiritual good and for his glory. He used it for Paul's good and his glory. God can use any decision for your good and his glory if we're looking to him. He can make, he can bring, and he's in the business of taking from ashes and bringing things that are good from them. That's the kind of God we have. A recent song on the radio says, you're turning ashes into art because that's just the kind of God you are. That's the nature of God. And so could he do that out of a difficult trial and even possibly a, a bad decision in Paul's life here in terms of a, his legal case? It was maybe not a great decision for his, for, from a legal strategy kind of a perspective. Could God use that? Yes. And we're going to keep going and seeing how God ends up using that in Rome. This was just to whet your appetite. But the takeaway here is God is not limited. Your choices matter. God wants to be included in them, but that's really the extent of it. They matter. God wants to be included in him, but God is more than capable of working in your life and fulfilling his plans despite the choices that you've made in the past. So the real issue is, are you going to keep your eyes on him? Are you going to be willing to move forward with him? Once the decision is made, it's, it's done. It's over. It's, be, it's behind us. So the question is, will we move forward with him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you just remind us that you're not limited. You're, you're never going to be limited in fulfilling your purposes or even bringing us to the culmination of your desire and plan and purpose for our lives, which is that we would grow in our faith and we would be molded and conformed into the image of your dear son. Pray that we would keep our eyes on you, that we wouldn't dwell on the past, that when we do make decisions, we wouldn't do it in rebellion, we wouldn't do it in sinfulness, we wouldn't do it in carnality, that we would seek to make decisions with you being included in them, with our thought towards heavenly and eternal things, with a heavenly perspective, as led and directed by you, that we pray for your wisdom, even as we make decisions, but pray that we wouldn't get hung up as much in the decisions as in trusting you with the moment that's right in front of us, knowing that regardless of the past decisions, you want to move us forward if we would just trust you, lean on you, depend on you, and walk with you. Pray that that could have been an encouragement for us here tonight. Thank you for the food that we're about to eat and all the hands that went into preparing it. Pray that we would enjoy this time of fellowship, that you'd keep everybody safe. Pray for those who couldn't be here, that you'd undertake in their lives as well too. In Jesus' name, amen.